Well, about a year or so ago, my dad went through some of our old family photographs and he digitized them so that we could have them available. And so earlier this week, I was going through some of the photographs and I ran across a few pictures from my four-year-old birthday party. Uh, So uh, let me see if I can get one of those up here. If you guys can go ahead and uh, advance that. There we go. Okay, so uh, this is me. That's my brother behind me. You can tell he is as excited as I am about the cake. Uh, I'm blowing out the candle. I loved looking at these pictures, but let me show you something. Something struck me as I looked through the pictures. So I, I see all these photos uh, surrounded by all of these other kids. And as I looked at it, what occurred to me is I don't know who any of these people are. So some of them are even labeled. They've got kids' names on them. And I even read the names. And I, I, one or two of them I vaguely remembered. But other than my brother, I really didn't know who any of these kids were. And I don't, I don't know why I lost touch with them. I wondered, you know, as we grow, our interests change. So maybe when I was young, a lot of my friends liked building stuff with plastic tools. And uh, as I got older, uh, that became less interesting. I don't know. What was interesting also was as I looked at the the pictures, I remembered the furniture better than I remembered the people. I remember that sofa. I remember those uh, side tables and the coffee table. I don't remember any of the kids. Now, why is that? Well, well, here is fundamentally why I think I, I don't remember them is because when you're four, you don't do a lot of selecting of your own friends. Your parents basically pick your friends when you're four years old. They pick your friends probably based upon who their friends are or family members that they invite over or whatever it is. You don't do a lot of picking of your own friends. Now, at some point, that changes. And I remember for me those years when that began to change and I started to feel like I want to select my friends. I want to be a part of a particular group. And I remember being in around fifth or sixth grade, and I identified, here is the group of kids who are the cool kids in the fifth grade at my elementary school. All right, that's all relative. What does cool look like when you're in fifth grade? I don't remember, but I remember I wanted to be among them. For me at the time, uh, the, the best thing that I had to offer to try to get into that group, I wasn't super athletic. I wasn't necessarily tall and handsome. Of course, none of us were in fifth grade. Uh, I was not... Uh, a lot of things, but I I could be funny, right? So I would practice jokes and faces in front of the mirror in order to try to get in with this group of of kids. And I remember the moment in sixth grade where one of these cool kids came up to me and he said, hey, Matt, he said, I remember you last year. Last year, you were a nerd. But he goes, now this year, you're just like one of us. And I remember going, yes, yes. And then, wait, I was a nerd last year. I don't, I don't remember that the same way he remembers that. But I was so glad to, to be in this group because, like you, there was this deep longing inside of me to be known and to know others and to have friends who would care about me and say, you're a part of our group. Now, like a lot of us find as we get older... I learned that some friends are better than other friends. Some friends bring out the best in us. Some friends bring out the worst in us. 
Some friends are loyal through thick and thin. Other friends are only there as long as there's something that you can offer them. So when you stop being the smartest, most athletic, best-looking, funniest kid in the class, some friends will stay, some friends won't. And the reality is, as we have talked about the concept of being connected in relationships, the reality is all of us want to have friends. All of us want to have people in our lives that we say, I know they'll be there for me. They know even the worst parts of my mind and my heart, and they still love me. They're honest, they're trustworthy, they lead me to know Jesus better. What's interesting is is as you read through the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, you really can see pretty clearly that almost nobody does anything great for the Lord's kingdom. And almost nobody really makes it through life successfully without good friends. So we think about some of these great men and women of God. King David, he had Jonathan, right? Paul has Barnabas and Silas. Daniel has his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even Jesus has friends, Jesus is perfect. Jesus is God in the flesh, but Jesus surrounds himself with some friends who are, they're not perfect, but they're men who love him, men who want his mission to succeed. Nobody successfully navigates life without good friends. We need them. They matter. As you look at the scripture, the book of Hebrews chapter 10 The writer says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Excuse me. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is the author of Hebrews saying? He is saying this. If you want to even hold fast to the faith, you need to gather with other people who will remind you of what is true, who will encourage and stimulate your heart to love and good deeds, who will provoke you not to things like anger or bitterness or greed or pride or lust or whatever. They won't provoke you to those things, but they will provoke you, he says, toward love, toward good deeds, toward Christ's likeness. We need friends in order to help us to know God better and to walk with God. We also just, we, we want friends because they ease our way through life. The writer of Ecclesiastes says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. And in the context of Ecclesiastes 4, here's where the the writer of Ecclesiastes is going. He says, you can have all the money in the world, all the success in the world, all the land, all the cattle, whatever it may be. You can have everything in the world, but if you're all alone, you're vulnerable to attack. You're vulnerable To drifting away from God, you're vulnerable to loss. You're vulnerable in every single way. What good does it do to have everything in the world and yet be alone? We need other 
people. And yet, we're alone often. And we are a lonely culture. I read a a study just this week by Cigna, the health insurance company. They show that nearly half of Americans report feeling alone or lonely. Some or most of the time. Now listen to this one. Only about half of us have meaningful in-person interactions with other people every day. Only about half of us would say, I connect with somebody in a meaningful way, face-to-face, every single day. And in fact, do you know the loneliest generation, as they surveyed the generations, the loneliest generation was Generation Z, those who are currently entering adulthood, 18 to 22 years old. They reported, in fact, because of their aloneness, they reported worse health than those who were over 70 years old. And the studies show that loneliness, being alone, being isolated, increases our risk of heart disease, diabetes, arthritis, and suicide. One study from about 25 years ago, 30 years ago, found that the health risks of loneliness are worse than the risks of high blood pressure, lack of exercise, and smoking. We're alone, and it can literally kill us. And so God knew we needed people. We need friends. What we need is what Proverbs 27, 17 describes as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. We need those people who will stand next to us and help us rub off our rough edges. Help us round ourselves out. Help us become the men and women that God wants us to be. And we're going to talk about this more in a moment. But for better or for worse, you and I will be transformed by the people we spend time with. You and I will be transformed by the people we spend time with. I read another article that described how best friends over a period of many years actually begin to physically resemble one another. And they said, we think the reason why is because of this. Over a period of time, when you're talking with a person face-to-face a lot, you reflect their facial expressions. If they smile, you smile. If they frown, you frown. If they scowl, you scowl. If they look sinister or cynical, you take on that expression. And so the lines in your face and the expression on your face begins to permanently mask the faces of those you spend the most time with. Now think about the implications of that for a minute and imagine the people you spend the most time with. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Our closeness to other people will to a large degree determine the course of our lives. So the scripture has a lot to say about friendship. I've heard a lot of sermons, especially when I was in college and as a young adult, a lot of sermons about romance, not a lot of sermons about friendship. But the reality is that the friends we spend time with will shape our hearts and the course of our lives. And so what I want to do this morning is we're going to look through the scripture, mostly through the book of Proverbs. And what does the scripture tell us about friends? What makes a good friend And what makes a bad or a dangerous friend? What kind of people 
ought we to seek out? As we seek those that we say, I want this person to be in my inner circle. What kind of people ought we to seek out? And also, here's what I want you to think as I walk through this. What kind of, what kind of friend am I? What kind of friends do I keep? And what kind of friend am I? And does it line up with the scriptures? Who are the people you're running with? And do they draw you closer to Jesus? Or do they draw you farther away? Most of us in the course of our lives, we're not going to, most of us have dozens and dozens of really close friends. Most of us will only have a few. Even if you're an extrovert and you love parties, the reality is that most of us only have a few people who know us closely and deeply and intimately. Are those the people who are drawing you closer to Jesus or further away? So let's look for a few minutes at what the scripture says about friendship. What is a good friend? I'm going to offer four characteristics this morning. First one is this. A good friend is godly. A good friend is godly. Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. One of the major themes in the book of Proverbs, because remember, the book of Proverbs is a father primarily writing to his son. King Solomon writing to his son. We don't know which son, but we do know that over and over and over again, he says, hey, don't walk in the way of the wicked, in the way of the scoffer. Don't pick out that cynical kid at the back of the class who mocks the ways of God, who mocks the things of God. But instead, pick the person that you look at and you say, that is a person that the things that come out of their mouth and the overflow of their heart reflects the character of God and reflects the character of Jesus. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. He also says this in Proverbs 13. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. You walk with the wise, you're going to grow wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. Where is wisdom found? For the writer of Proverbs, wisdom is found in the teachings of the scripture. Wisdom is found in knowing God. Again, you will be impacted. I don't care whether you are five or you are 95. You will be impacted by the people you spend the most time around. Back in the 1950s, there was a famous psychological experiment. It was called the Ash Conformity Experiment. Some of you, if you're psychology majors, you've probably read about this, but here's what they did is is they got a bunch of people in a room and they said, you're going to take a test and all you got to do, it's a simple kind of math test. And so they would say, here's a picture of a straight line on the left side. And on the right side, there were three other lines, A, B, and C. And they said, all you got to do is tell us which one of these lines, A, B, or C, is the same length as the one on the left. Just match them. Now, the question was ridiculously simple. It was unbelievably obvious which line was the right length. One of them was super long. One of them was really short. And then there was one that was just the right length. And so they they ran this study and, and everybody got it right. In the control experiment, everybody got it right. Everybody knew which was the right one. But then here's what they did. They put people into a room with about 11 or 12 others. And what they did is after the first round, they didn't know everybody else in the room with them was an actor. 
And all of the other people in the room started giving obviously wrong answers. And they were giving their answers out loud. So you would go and let's say the right answer is C. You would say, oh, it's C. The person next to you goes, it's B. The other person goes, B, B, all the way around the circle. Next time around, they, they do another one. Next person goes, it's A, A, A. And it comes to you. And, and you see the videos. People are looking at it going, what? They're genuinely confused. First couple of times they go, it's, it's C. But it happens three, four, five, six times. And guess what? Over the period of time of this experiment, uh, 75% of the participants changed their answers at least once. Some people change their answers all the time in response to the crowd. There was a very, very small sliver that always kept to the right answer. Very, very small group. Almost everybody was impacted by the crowd. Over a period of time, and remember, this was only a few minutes experiment. Imagine this experiment goes on for year after year after year. So the the writer of Proverbs, he says, the people we spend time with, we want them to be people who are walking with God, people who are godly, people who know the Lord well and serve him. My worst decisions in my life have often been made at the hands of negative peer pressure. You know, it's interesting. Our daughter is about to get her driver's license this year. And if you've gone through this uh, yourself or with one of your kids in the last few years, you may know that since I was a teenager, uh, the state of Texas has added some new laws about teenagers driving. One of which is you're not allowed to drive in a vehicle. If you're 16, 17 years old, you can't drive in a vehicle with more than one other kid your age, one other teenager, in the car. That's a good rule. You also can't drive between the hours of midnight and 5 a.m. until you're like, I don't know, 18 years old, I think. Another good rule. And here's why. I can remember when I was a teenager, the most dangerous, terrible things I ever did involved cars after midnight with other people. And why is that? Because you get in that environment where you're tired, your judgment is already low, and you're in there with a group of other people whose brains are not fully developed. (laughs) And they say, hey, what does the speed limit matter after midnight? Nobody's on the road. And why should we not roll down the window and throw, for example, canned biscuits at the other cars on the road? Right, so over time, I'm not saying I did that, at least the throwing part, maybe the, the driving part. Over time, the state of Texas said, hey, we're going we're gonna to minimize the opportunity for that negative peer pressure late at night involving thousand pound vehicles. Why? Because they know the people you're around, the context you're around them with, that deeply will impact your heart, and your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs chapter 22, do not make friends with an angry person. Do not associate with a wrathful person 
lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Now, I want to be clear. He's not saying that you can't ever be kind to, talk to, have lunch with somebody who is struggling, whether it's with anger or lust or greed or pride or whatever it may be. He's not saying you only hang out ever with people who are perfectly pure. But what the scripture says is, who are those people that you're going to let into your inner circle? To have a deep influence on you and you a deep influence on them. Who are those people? He says, you associate with an angry person. Guess what you'll be? You associate with a gossip. Guess what you'll be? You associate deeply with a cynic. With a person of immoral character. Over time, you begin to resemble them. On the other hand. You associate with a person whose decisions are rooted in the word of God. Who in the midst of pain, heartache, and trial says we can trust him. Person who says, I want to use the life that God has given me to make an impact for the kingdom of Jesus. You associate with those people and they'll sharpen you. Just as my worst decisions have been made in the face of negative peer pressure, my best decisions have been made with the counsel of godly men and women who know me, know my strengths and my weaknesses, and point me to Jesus. Are the people in your circle that you say, these are my friends, do they push you more to know Jesus? Or do they push you away? A good friend is godly. Secondly, a good friend is honest. A good friend is honest. They tell you the truth. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And then verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Now I love these two verses so close together because they tell us two truths about the way our friends give us counsel. One, it's honest, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Your closest friends, if they're a good friend, they might say things from time to time that hurt, but that you need to hear. But they also say it in a way that is kind, respectful, and compassionate. Many years ago, when it first came on TV, I, I periodically would watch American Idol. And of course, there's, there's tons of shows like this now, where you get a bunch of people who are auditioning to be the next big singing celebrity or whatever, and they have their moment in the sun. And if you watch the early episodes of a season, of course, there's always at least a couple of people who somehow made it all the way through the process, and they can't sing at all. They can't carry a tune in a bucket. Right now, of course, that's the whole point, right? The whole point is we're going to put them up there and then all of America can laugh like we laugh. But every time I see it, I always think, I always think, who in this person's life (laughs) did not tell them, don't do it? I mean, come on, somebody heard this person sing somewhere before they tried out. They told somebody, hey, I'm going to try out. 
And everybody else in their life goes, thumbs up, man. Totally. (laughs) You got this. Nobody told them the truth. And I'm not saying they had to be mean, but just to pull them aside and go, hey, you have a lot of gifts, a lot of strengths. This is not one. (laughs) Don't do it. A good friend will tell you the truth, even when it hurts. I can remember some very transformative moments in my own life where people I respected, friends who were close enough, who had earned that right in my life, sat down. And they said, here's an area in which I can see that you need to submit to the Lord's Spirit to change. Things I didn't like hearing. I remember many, many years ago, as I first began in ministry and began to speak regularly, I had, I had a friend and a mentor. He sat down with me one, one day after a talk. I think he waited a couple of days to be nice. And he said, here's some things you did well, and I want you to know there are some things you did very well. But he goes, let, let me tell you, I could tell from where I was sitting that you weren't as impactful as you could have been. And you know why? Because I can tell you're too concerned about everybody liking you. Right? And I walked away and I thought, I don't care what you think. Shut up, right? <laughs> but here's what happened. As I walked around and I thought about it, I thought, ah, he's right. And it began a process of the Lord transforming my heart in ways that could not have happened if he had not kindly and gently but truthfully stepped into that moment. Who are those people in your life? All of us know that feeling of coming home from an event and you're talking to a roommate or maybe your spouse and they go, hey, there's, there's something in your nose. And what happens is you go... How long has that been there? That literally happened to me yesterday. I was on a, I'm not kidding. I was on a retreat with the, the men at Creekside and I woke up and I was talking. I probably talked to, to five, six people all throughout the morning. And then I went and I was talking with a friend about an hour later. And he goes, hey, listen, I, I just need you to know you, got, you have toothpaste and it's running down the side of your mouth. And I was like, man, you're my only friend (laughs) at this entire place. I've been walking around like this. I have had deep, important conversations with people. And nobody said a thing. Your friends will tell you the truth. Who are those people in your life that you can count on to be kind, but also they're not so impressed with you that they're afraid to tell you the truth? A good friend is godly. A good friend is honest. Thirdly, a good friend is is trustworthy. This is a little different from honesty. Here's what I mean. Let me show you the passages and I think you'll understand. A good friend is trustworthy. Proverbs 11, 13. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. Proverbs chapter 20. He who goes about as a slanderer Reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. In fact, these these two Proverbs describe two different kinds of gossips. One is the malicious gossip. This is the person 
who looks for those opportunities to find things about you that are juicy, that they can share with other people. Uh, Alice Roosevelt Longworth, the daughter of Teddy Roosevelt, she was a famous socialite in the early part of the 20th century. Famous quote by Alice Roosevelt Longworth, she said, if you don't have anything good to say, come sit next to me. We've all met those people. You go, how do I know? How do I know if I'm talking to one of those kind of people who will share my secrets and and the vulnerable parts of my heart? How do I know if I'm talking to one of those kind of people? Here's how you know. Because they will be telling other people's stuff to you. And the person who comes, and we've all met a man, you might like originally, initially to be around those people, go, man, they've got all the dirt on everybody. I love it. And then it occurs to you, if they're saying it to me, then they're taking everything I tell them. And they're saying it to others. Right? And to be clear, when we talk about keeping confidences, I'm not suggesting that if you are building some dark criminal organization or enterprise, that you need a crony who will swear a blood oath and take it to their grave. What I am saying is that you need friends, I need friends, who will hear your struggles and keep confidence. We need friends who even can hear those moments in which we're processing the the, the dark thoughts and sinful thoughts of our heart because we need prayer, because we need encouragement, because we need help. And, and those people that, you know, it may not be fully formed yet. And you may be able to say, look, I know that parts of this are wrong. I know that parts of what I'm thinking here need to change, but I need to tell somebody. And they'll take it away. And they'll pray, and they'll give you that honest, godly counsel, but they're not going to go share it. Those friends are rare, to be honest. I was trying to think about it this week. I mean, I'm certain that in my life I have no more than three or four. A couple of people I can call. That I can say, I need your prayer because here are some things going on in my heart that I really, I can't tell a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And those men listen and they pray and they speak the truth into the lies that I hear in my mind and heart. A good friend is trustworthy. They're going to hold on to those things that you tell them and not spread them. And then fourthly, a good friend is loyal. Good friend is loyal. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, a lot of people, and I think rightly so, have seen Jesus in this passage. That in the world, there are, there are a lot of friends. There's a lot of people who will say that you're, they're your friend. But there is a friend, Jesus, who sticks closer than a brother. And I think that's true. But I also think the writer of Proverbs is saying, the people in your life that you want to look around for, that the relationships you want to develop are the people ultimately who will say, even when you fall, I'm still there. Even if you fall down, I'll help you get up. Even when you're at your worst, I will love you 
and pray for you. And you then have the opportunity to do the same for them. The reality is that that most of us, most of our relationships, they'll fade away. People come in and out of our lives. And some of that's just the natural course of life. We can't always control it. We get married or we have kids and we move away or we take a job in, in somewhere else or people just drift apart. That happens. Sometimes friendships begin to drift apart because in, in a moment of struggle or a season of pain, some people will move toward you. And they'll say, no matter what is happening in your heart and in your life, I'm here. And others will back away. That doesn't make them bad. It just means they're not the one that's going to stick with you for a lifetime. A man of too many friends comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 25, 19, like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. I don't know if you've ever had a bad tooth. I have. Now my kids, they're, uh, at least our youngest still is at the stage where periodically he's, he's losing his teeth. And he, he gets money sometimes for that. I still don't understand why. But the tooth fairy pays him. Right? But when you grow up, you have a bad tooth. It's, it's not fun. Right? Your teeth start, if they start falling out, People don't pay you for that. You pay other people (laughs) to fix them. It's painful. But I don't know if you've ever had a a, a bad tooth that that hurts, right? And, And so you bite into maybe an apple or something like that and just pain shoots through your entire body. And so what do you do? You say, I'm not gonna rely on that side of my mouth anymore because I can't trust it. So you begin to eat everything over here because this one, you can't trust it. Same thing with a bad foot, a bad knee. You go, when's the moment that I'm going to put weight on this foot and it's going to crumble under me? Proverbs says, that's like having confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. Just when you need him. Just when you begin to put weight on that relationship to say, I need you to pray. I need you to help me understand Jesus better. I need you to help me know the Lord. Just when you begin to put weight on it, they crumble and they're gone. But he says, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And again, as I look at this passage, ultimately, as I look at all of these characteristics about friendship, Of course, the the best friend we have is Jesus. Who even in our sin, in our darkness, and in our separation from him, he's rock solid. And that's why Romans 5 tells us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's the greatest friendship any of us could have. If you don't know Jesus, you need to know that is a friend who will never leave you. If you trust that he died for your sin, he rose again, you can know you have a life that never ends and a friend who never abandons you. And then the reason that we want to be the kind of friend described in the scripture, godly, honest, 
trustworthy, loyal. We want to be that kind of friend because we want to reflect the best friend we've ever had. So people can see him and know him in deeper ways. So as we close, then let me ask a couple of questions quickly. What kind of friends do you keep? Evaluate honestly. Do those in your inner circle draw you closer to Jesus or further away? I remember when my wife and me first, my wife and I first got married. Right, we had some, we had, uh, some people in our lives, they said, Here, here's the, the best advice that I could give you. Don't hang around with other couples who are cynical about marriage. Don't hang around with those couples that every time you sit down, they make cutting remarks toward one another and sarcastic comments. Or that guy whose humor is always at the expense of his poor wife who's not in the room. But instead, spend your time with those who live in hope and in godliness and in righteousness in their marriage and in every area of their lives to the best of their ability through the power of of the Spirit. Nobody's perfect. Everybody struggles. But look for those people who will draw us closer to Jesus. You say, "Where where do I find those people? Let me just offer a few thoughts. First one is this, but begin to pray for those people to come into your life if you don't have them. Secondly, begin to engage. Join a Bible study. Join a home group. Initiate with those that you, you may look from afar and you may say, I see that that is a person who navigates life well. A person who roots their decisions in the word of God. And as you see those people in your orbit, just begin to spend more time with them. And interestingly, it may not initially be the people with whom you have have immediately all of these shared interests. It might be, but it might not be. In fact, one of my my closest friends to this day, initially, we, we didn't really share a whole lot of interests in common. And yet, as as I saw his life and had the opportunity to spend time with him, I I thought, this is a man. He's honest. He helps me be honest. He's trustworthy. And he's walking with Jesus. And so I want to know that guy. Who are those people? And begin to move toward those folks. If you're a college student, you may say, man, I've, I've surrounded myself at the moment with people who are the opposite of this. And so you may need to pray and there may be some friendships that you need to back away from a little bit. Not to drop people or abandon people or to be disloyal. But instead to say, I can still love you, I can still care for you, I can still pray for you. But I need to find some people who will help me know Jesus. What kind of friends do you keep? And then secondly, what kind of friend are you? What kind of friend are you? Are you the type of friend that reflects the character of Jesus Christ? Are you the type of person that you you say, if I were looking for a friend like this, I'd look for somebody like me. Right now, I I realize you you think, man, that sounds arrogant, right? I I don't know that I would say it that way. 
You say, God, can I become that kind of a person through your spirit's power that is the kind of friend I'd want to have? Where do you, where do you guide people? In the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked? In the way of wisdom or the way of folly? In the way of Jesus or in the way of the world? What kind of friends do you keep? What kind of friend are you? Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful for your word. What a convicting topic. Because we recognize we are not close to the type of friends that we ought to be. We also recognize that it's hard, Lord. We live in an isolated culture. And so we pray that you would step in and be our friend in the midst of loneliness. Lord, I know that there are people in this room that they hear this topic and they feel all alone. I pray you'd provide them a friend. And I pray you'd remind them you are a friend. Father, there are those in this room that they say, I know I can be that kind of a friend, a lifeline to somebody who feels like they're drowning, a hope to somebody who wants to walk with Jesus and just needs a hand. I pray we'd be those people through the power of your spirit. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.